This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC on location, San Diego, Ursa 2018 Omni Hotel Lobby. I'm here with Chuck Runyon, CEO and founder of Anytime Fitness, one of the largest franchisors of health clubs. Chuck and I met over 10 years ago, and uh, he uh, was moving from uh, corporate office number one to corporate office number two, now onto campus number three. That's correct. Uh, so it's great to have you on Halo Talks in San Diego. Thanks, Pete. Pleasure to be here. And, um, you know, I've got a copy of your book. I started reading it, actually, because Elizabeth gave it to me mm -hmm. um, last week for my trip. Hope you enjoy that. I'm, I'm working on it. Uh, it's the one book I have in my room. And, um, you know, I, I would like to take this segment and uh, really focus on what it takes to build a business that lasts, uh, what things you can't really scoot over, uh, you know, things that take time. You know, maybe you could just talk a little bit about, you know, the early days of any time and what you were building and when you felt the confidence to kind of go from one location and say, okay, you know, I'm ready to do multi-unit and I'm ready to franchise and take us through the thought pattern. Yeah, you know, franchising is a little bit different than maybe most of uh, the, what the listeners are, are involved with. However, I think it teaches an important lesson because to be a successful franchise network, you really have to go to work every day to help your franchisees succeed, right? It doesn't work unless your franchisees are profitable and successful. So you have this mindset every day to build a business and provide, like empower your franchisees to run a very successful business across the world. And so, you know, you come to work with this mindset of I'm going to enrich and empower others, right? It's very selfless. And so if you're not in the franchise space, but you have your own individual studio or your own individual club, instead of driving to your business and, and having the mindset of all these people work for me, I want you to flip that and think that, guess what? I go to work and even I may own one studio with a handful of instructors, but my job is to come to work for these instructors and help them build their book of business, help them be wildly successful. And if you, as a leader, if you do that, right, if you always put others first and you help them be successful, ultimately you will be successful. So whether or not you're in the franchise business, uh, if your mindset is to like empower others, enrich others, build tools so they can be successful, you will be fine in the long run. And in the very early days of Anytime Fitness, we just drove to work every day thinking, how can I help our employees? How can I help our franchise owners? How can we help our members be more successful in whatever their endeavor is? And we still hold that mindset today. And what does that come with when you, you know, the, the responsibility when you sell a franchise? You know, how, how does that make you feel? Because obviously the first couple were, you know, okay, I've got a system. I feel good about who I am. I've got a, you know, a strong set of values and ethics. But, you know, someone's paying me now to run my play. Yes. And, you know, I tell you what, it comes uh, a very heavy feeling of accountability. Someone is going to write you a check and, and it sometimes largely represents their life savings. And so it could be a, a father, son, a, a, a couple, a, you know, a couple buddies who want to open a business. And this is significant money to them. And in addition, they're taking on debt to go sign a lease or to, or to purchase some equipment. So, I mean, we tell our team, I'll constantly remind them that this is a major responsibility that we have to have every day. And it's our job to help them be successful. It, it's a terrible day when a franchisee fails. And, and look, we've had a remarkably low failure rate. It happens. And uh, we better feel accountability for that. And we take that responsibility very, very seriously. And, and what kind of playbooks did you put in place or, or systems did you have in place that obviously continuously get refined you know, to, to give you the desire to say, okay, look, you know, I'm ready to do this. Just, well, just so people understand, like, how much work needs to be done before you get to that. 
Well, an immense amount of work that had to be done and quite, quite frankly continues to be done. I mean, we are still investing back into this business to grow it, to, to never be satisfied because what we created years ago just isn't good enough today. And so whether it's learning management system, whether it's digital tools, whether it's ongoing training that's in person or, or you know, online, whether it's field visits, it's conferences, it is, I mean, whatever is needed, you know, marketing materials, branding, edgy, it just, it doesn't, it never ends. And so, you know, when you're a startup, you can't do everything. And so you have to prioritize what the most important initiatives are. And obviously you can do that with stakeholder feedback. You can do that, of course, you know, trying to be strategic about what's going to provide the best ROI. But look, we've always found that being a successful franchisee is really dependent on listening, listening to our consumers, listening to our franchisees. Their feedback will help you create the priorities in your business and where to invest the money to, number one, help them get to a healthier place if you're a member or run a more successful business if you're a franchisee. So I would suggest anyone listen first, then zoom out of the business, you know, look down on it, see where the the biggest wins are, and then prioritize where you're going to reinvest your dollars. Mm -hmm. That's great. So you've been doing this for a while now. How do you kind of um, balance uh, trusting your gut versus trusting the data that you get? (laughs) Man, that's a great question because let's say we, you know, we are overrun with data and there seems to be this field of uh, workers who just, they, they don't want to do anything unless the data tells them to, right? And especially if we're trying to charter into un, 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 you know, new territories, there's no data for that. So um, I, don't, I don't know if I have the secret answer other than you got to trust your gut. You got to be willing to make a bet. You got to be willing to be wrong. You, you try to get the, as much data as you can to help you make an educated decision but man, if you're waiting for everything to be certain, well, someone else has already done it or it's not that really groundbreaking. So I, I love that point. old phrase that, you know, if, if uh, Henry Ford asks his customers what they want, they'd say, I'd want faster horses, right? And so uh, if we want to be innovative, you can't focus group your way to innovation because customers are not great at telling you what isn't there today. So to answer your question, I don't know if there's the right formula other than you know, collect as much data as you can, listen, but but be willing to take a bet mm-hmm. and be willing to stumble and fail. Yeah. So when you um, when you take that bet, uh, and I feel like this on, on my end, that my time horizon on whether I think that that bet paid off or if that's the right bet, I feel like maybe because of technology or because of the fast pace of the world, that I'm shortening my time to say whether that decision was right. Do you, what's your thoughts on that or how do you think about your decision making and your your answers to the decisions agree completely we're all getting more impatient in every area of life and yes the uh the feedback loop we want quicker we want certain success quicker we want data quicker and we've got to remind ourselves to be patient and especially if you're going to innovate it takes a little bit longer right to uh it it can be ugly it can be uncertainty there's a lot of ambiguity in that situation so um, I, again, I don't have the right answer, right? But all I'm saying is you probably have to, we all have to be a bit more patient in that situation. Yeah, agreed. Um, so, you know, several years ago, you decided to uh, to take in private equity capital. Yes. Which, um, you know, there's there's more, quote unquote, private equity capital out there looking yes. for deals. Yes. And um, a lot of people look at it as a financial transaction. Mm-hmm. And um, this is really probably the most personal and uh, maybe the biggest decision you're ever going to make in your career yes. is who to take capital from, yes. what the structure is. So, you know, without going into too much detail because every deal is, you know, stands on its own, but you know, what, what'd you think about, you know, why'd you do it? How do you feel about that decision? Does it help you sleep better at night? 
Um, you just give us a couple of, of headliners on that, if you will. Well, so I talk about this in the book, Love Work. And uh, Anytime Fitness started with three partners. We had to buy one out in 2009. Went on a very long, you know, six, nine-month dog and pony show, uh, interviewing various private equity firms. This was my really my first uh, experience with it. And, you know, quite honestly, with all due respect to private equity firms or, you know, nine out of ten of them, I just couldn't envision partnering with. And so we, we creatively found a way to buy out our partner back in 2009. And then, you know, come 2012, 2013, we're far more educated now on how it works, right? And so we were very selective in who we would even consider. And as much as they vetted our business, we were vetting them, right? And we didn't want just money. We wanted, like, value-added smart money. We wanted them to help the business grow and make it better, so we were incredibly choosy in, uh, in who we'd even consider. We wrote a manifesto uh, articulating our values, what we believed in, what we stood for, what we would not stand for. We gave this to the private equity firms and just simply said, look, read this. And if you align with it, let's continue talking. If you do not, no issues, right? It's nothing bad about you, nothing bad about us. We don't, don't have uh, alignment. And so the, the, we ended up choosing Roar Capital, uh, arguably the best firm and in, in private equity firm in franchising. And they have been a, a terrific partner uh, and have provided more than just money. They've been value-added. You know, as an entrepreneur, you know, there's, uh, we took some chips off the table. And, you know, quite frankly, we just said, look, we think with Rourke, we can make the entire network better. Meaning, and what I love about Rourke is they have our same philosophy of worry about stakeholders first, shareholders second. So in mm. every board meeting, we're talking about franchisee success. We're talking about members. You know, we don't talk about how much money we're making because we know that if the network performs, we're going to be fine at the end of the day. Right. So to me, it starts with your values. What do you stand for? Uh, you know, and then can you align culturally with the values of your private equity firm? And then it comes down to, of course, valuation and you know all the fine print that happens in the in the agreements. But if if you can't envision yourself partnering with this firm and having some shared values, don't do it. And, and look, we well, we also didn't need the money, so we had a little bit of leverage there. But it ended up being a good decision for us. That's great advice. And um, you know, as as companies grow, uh, sometimes their executives decide, you know, I don't need to go to this trade show anymore, or um, you know, I'm going to send some of my my junior guys. Um, yeah, I, I see you all the time at uh, at these shows and at other events. So maybe just from a standpoint of, you know, founders of companies, um, CEOs, people who are new to the industry, just maybe give a tidbit about like the value of you personally being here and, and what that, that means to your organization and to the industry. Well, look, it's more important than ever before that I get out of my office, right? I mean, it's, uh, I need to put myself in a mental safari where I'm constantly learning from this industry and outside the industry. I try to go to trade shows that have nothing to do with fitness because I love to learn from what other brands are doing. So I, I try to just be a lifelong student. You know, I, I try to operate with some intellectual humility. I mean, I just, you know, I'm just curious. I want to ask why. I, can, I feel like I can learn from anybody or any organization. And so it's just critically important that uh, I continue to put myself in situations to sometimes learn with intention and sometimes just learn by accident. You sometimes can't predict it, right, when the epiphany hits or when you see something or you, you interact with a brand that is very intriguing that you're like, wow, I think we can, we can do some of that, right? So... Um, it's uh, you stay, learning, quite frankly, is, should be everyone's top of their priority. I don't care who you are. That's great. Well, I appreciate uh, having you on the show. Uh, words of wisdom, pieces of advice. Um, build a business of value, and at some point, um, people are going to understand what you built, and I think that uh, there are great lessons here. So I appreciate reconnecting with you and wish you continued success. Thanks, Pete. You too. Love what Halo stands for, and uh, let's uh, grow a healthy industry. Agreed. Thank you. Thanks.